yeah. <laughs> feels good. Feels natural. All right. <laughs> All right. So we are live at the NECCDC, which is a mouthful, the Northeast Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, here with Jack. Everybody knows. Where um, else would I be? Right, right, right where you should be, right next to me, man. And then in the back, I got to give some credit to Holly Studwell. Um, she is the, the woman behind the curtain that makes all of this happen, and also a Champlain grad. Um, very talented, very capable, and is someone that Champlain should be super proud of. And um, she's, the, she, she's the one that keeps me sounding somewhat intelligent most of the time. <laughs> so, uh, as I mentioned, we're at NECCDC. It's a cyber defense competition. We have 10 schools, and most of the students are already locked away in their rooms, doing all the good things that they do. Blue teaming, red teaming, white teaming. Uh, so that leaves us to chat. <laughs> chat teaming, yes. Chat teaming. What, what, what color do you think that would be? Uh, we're sort of yellow journalists, so we'll call it <laughs> yellow teaming. Perfect. Okay. I'll <laughs> leave that be. All right. So I thought today what we could talk about was um, making cybersecurity easier. And, and actually, b before we start there, I actually want to recognize Jim Hogue, too, for those of you that don't know him, he's, uh, I, I would actually echo Scott's words that he really is the, the godfather, if you will, to, to cybersecurity at Champlain. So I see your work in our company and what we do day in and day out. We've got, within our Vermont staff here at, at New Harbor Security, we have 60% of our staff is Champlainers, most of them whom you've had a direct influence on. And Jim, they definitely have their stuff together. So... Thanks for all your contributions. I appreciate it. So back to program. I want to talk about making cybersecurity easier. And I thought maybe we could start with one of the things that I see within the cyber community that creates a lot of challenges for everybody is that shameless promotion of cybersecurity creates shame for the rest of us. And I thought maybe we could start there. I think it's a great place to start. Right, as those of you who are studying hard or working on teams or are more further along in your careers look around, it can be a Byzantine mess to try to figure out what tools actually do, what's actually gonna solve the problem that you have. And even some of the folks who help us to guide us in terms of the, their expertise and the things that they offer, they too can sometimes um, fall into the same trap, right, of, of over-promising um, what technology is capable of doing, uh, what organizations are capable of doing. I think one of the reasons why so many of you are here is because, and why there is a teaming contest to begin with is that this is really hard, right? It's really hard and it changes all the time and it's multiple different facets to make this happen. And so as organizations and as individuals and as, you, as those of you who are training for it enter into the discipline, um, you're going to find out pretty quickly that making the right decisions about how to blend those things together is really very nuanced, right? You have to have a lot of expertise in both the, the domains where you're going to work, but also into the businesses that you're going to support, the organizations you're going to support. And so what we're talking about mainly today, and I, I think that Justin's quote's the right one, right, if, is organizations attempt to explain what they do and what they do well. Sometimes they, they get past their own skis, and there's descriptions of things which they could conceivably thought to do. Uh, if you've heard us through 
zero terms into the pit of despair on the podcast. It's because people extend what they do to make it sound like they do more. And it's an, I think it's sort of a natural thing. Exaggeration is a natural human trait. But when you do it in cybersecurity, you create a real problem because that overlap between your exaggeration and the next company's ag- exaggeration as a vendor creates a gap that all of us have to fill as security professionals. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. So just kind of breaking down everything you said. So there's, I, I kind of see three parts to that, right? So there's, um, it's saying your product or solution does more than it actually does, right? It's pretty common. I, I think we can kind of trace that back to some potential root causes. There's using words that are intentionally confusing. And I mean, we can, uh, I, I think if I reverse the clock and kind of think about why, why that is. I, I think there's, at least I, I have my own speculations why that could be. And then uh, lastly, I think the third one is um, self-promotion and self-aggrandizing that exists with our industry basically creates a false sense of security for, for a lot of people. Meaning like, in other words, like there's people that talk about their capabilities in ways that are false, but no one knows any different to challenge them. So this thing just kind of keeps perpetuating itself. And this, this thing is this complexity that just keeps steamrolling forward and no one's doing anything to fix it, right? So I, th- I think that's the challenge in front of us. Yeah, if we, if we start at the top, right? If we start with the fact that sometimes organizations over-describe what they do, right? They, they use the wrong words to describe what they do. It, historically, right, it, it happens because the language of our industry is still really, really young. All of you, you know, who feel perhaps that you're getting into it, you know, as it's beyond its infancy, we're really very much at the start of it compared to most kinds of technologies, most kinds of services. And so the words were, you know, relatively poorly applied from the beginning, right? Because people didn't necessarily understand what they meant. Even the best of vendors with the best of intentions can describe what they do as solving a problem that they really don't, right? Because they misunderstand the problem themselves, right? And what ends up happening is if company A is in competition with company B and they're both describing what they do and one decides that they're doing you know, more than network detection, now they're doing managed detection, now they're doing some form of response, they catapult themselves into a category and the company behind them says, well, they're not that different from us. I guess we must do that too. And this has been happening for 30 years now, right? And so the follow-on knock-on, you know, damage that happens from that is exactly as you describe it, that these organizations, these vendors can over describe what they do. And I think that a lot of the people who do it, Justin, they they don't even know necessarily that they're doing it. This is a hard space. It is hard. When I try to break break down some of what you just said, I think about the marketing of security really is we are marketing to a destination, marketing to a product or marketing to a solution. And the, the side effect of that in a very crowded space, how do you differentiate? You use bigger words, you use more complex words, you blur the line between uh, reality and, and hype, if you will. And that's that's just to get more attention. That's just trying to be louder in a space that's already pretty loud, you know? And so what happens is you just get this, like, this ratchet, this marketing ratchet that just keeps going on and on. And, you know, you see one person use a new word and, you know, as a marketer, stand on that person's shoulder and then you expand on that word. And then next thing you know, you've got this, like, this hype snowball, if you will. And, and rather, personally, what... What I think we need and what I would like to see is that we market to an outcome and we market to a promise. And 
the products can help you get you there, but I feel like what we really have to articulate is the promise, and the promise of making cyber easier, solving challenges for, for businesses, solving challenges for the industry. And in the absence of that, in the absence of promising outcomes, you basically get, you get a promise of features, right? And that's not really helpful in a world where people don't understand. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about this combination of language making it more difficult. Um, looking around the room, right, um, as you start thinking about the value you're going to bring as an individual, right, as a contributor, my guess is it's going to have a name that you can say, I'm going to make things safer, or I'm going to make things more efficient, or I'm going to make things faster, right? We, th we think about words like that. You don't say, I'm going to be an excellent, uh, uh, an excellent person who types very fast. Right? And security, because of the nature of its development, of its evolution, has led even buyers, and this is the real challenge, right, Justin? The, yeah. the, the buyers are speaking in terms of these capabilities. So think about what's happening downstairs now. A new threat shows up. We've got really brilliant people downstairs red teaming away, right? So they're going to do some interesting new form of attack that somebody hasn't seen before. There's a new attack. Well, one of the smart teams downstairs says, wow, that's a real problem. I could see that in the wild. I'm going to go build a pro product to solve that problem. And now they're going to go into the marketplace, and there's going to be two parts of that slideshow. right? The first is going to be, this is a new kind of problem you may be vulnerable to, and they're showing the new problem. And the client, the customer will say, yeah, damn, you're right. That is a problem. And then the product vendor is going to say, and look at this. I have a product that can solve that problem for you. All right, I've just admitted it's a problem. You've shown me you can solve that problem. Why am I not taking out my wallet right now? And they do. Right? Which is yeah. why, if you look at the numbers, 50 plus percent of security software is never used. Right? And a majority of software that is purchased is never fully utilized. Right? And that's not because the people using it aren't super smart. It's because they're super tired and it's super complicated. Right? You've got, you know, as you're going into this industry, it's the responsibility of us as sort of the older cadre to make this job a little less difficult and complicated. And I think that what you said, Justin, it, for me at least it resonates, right? We can recommend to you all, right, as the purveyors of this style of security <clears throat> to make sure you're delivering on the value and the outcome Justin describes. But also, if you take the role as the CISO someplace or the director of IT and now you're responsible for buying the security, demand it, right? Demand the outcome. When somebody comes and says to you, listen, I've got the fastest next-gen firewall for processing application-level proxies, right? You say, I don't care about that. Are you going to make me more secure? How are you going to make me more secure? How am I, I'm very, very busy and I actually want to have a life, how am I going to be able to run your stuff with my existing team? Help me understand how it integrates with the rest of it because my outcome as the director of IT, my outcome as the CISO, is to make my organization more secure. So to your point, go for the outcome. Yeah, and what you said, in the world of point solutions, you exist you manufacture gaps that weren't there in the first place, right? If, if everybody's trying to build a better mousetrap and people are spending money on these mousetraps, there's things that get lost in the gaps. And then what ends up happening, and you'll all see when you get out to industry, is that you've now spent all of your budget on a better mousetrap that just solves a singular problem. But like, it's, you know, like, it's like NASA, right? It's saying like, I've spent my entire budget on this telescope that covers 2% of the sky. And it was like, well, it's a big-ass sky, right? So, like, you need a lot more budget. And I think, I, I think we, we see that all the time. And I'm not sure people actually really realize it, is saying they, they chase these mouse traps, they spend all of their budget on point solutions and narrow outcomes, but they're really not solving the issue. And then next year comes around, and you're no better off than you were the year before. And here we are.
Yeah, and then you get to your second point, right? So now we're on the merry-go-round, right? Yeah. We have these new solutions that are being described in terms that aren't necessarily exactly right, right? And they begin to overlap with other things that may also exist, yeah. right? Causing, causing more confusion as we get into that second area where they're, they're not just describing what they do wrongly, they're, in, they're inviting themselves into an area of benefit that they're not necessarily even providing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So for, for this group, what recommendations would you have for them, especially people who are like about to go into the workforce? This is our next generation coming up. What advice would you have for them on how we make this easier and make it simpler so that we can understand it and solve the problem? I think that a lot of people get into this industry, and I started it's like 30 years ago, right, when the rocks were still hot. Um, it, if you get into this industry, it's because you're intellectually curious, right? It's the nature of what we do. We, if we're trying to defend, we're trying to figure out what are they going to try next so I can defend against that. If we're on the testing side, we're like, how can I find a hole in this? How can I make it more secure by figuring out how to get in? So you're already by virtue of just sort of sitting here and listening to us, you're already intellectually curious. If I were you, I would like, you know, take your shot of steroids into your intellectual curiosity muscle, right? Because the way we get around this, I think, Justin, is that we feel confident in asking the hard questions, right? We ask the hard questions of our own teams about what do you mean by security? Oh, it's a better mousetrap. That's excellent. This is a cat farm. We're kind of okay, right? But when you think about it, when, when you ask the question, you say, what do I need? What do I really, really want? So be intellectually curious about the businesses and the organizations that you work with and that you support, number one. Number two, be comfortably, constructively, critically intellectually curious with people who tell you they have a solution for the problem that you're describing. When they say, I can solve problem A, the first question should always be, how? Explain to me how. You're all very smart. Leverage that intellectual curiosity to force a conversation that speaks to you in real language. I've been doing this 100 years. I ask the question, what does that mean all the damn time? And it's not because we don't necessarily know something, right? It's because we don't know if we're communicating, if we're clarifying in our language. Are we truly understanding what you think you're saying? And, and frankly, when you look at it, when you look at the folks who will bring you these solutions, really qualified salespeople or sales engineers or partners or service partners, what have you, these people probably are not down below uh, turning knobs, putting ones and zeros up on the screen, right? Yeah. And so everything they know is going to be contingent upon sort of what they've been told. So I think number one, I think probably the most, the most important thing I could recommend, especially to an audience like this, is to remain intellectually curious and use that curiosity to drive clarity in your discussions, both with internal teams about what you need and the external teams about what you're going to get. That's good. You know, um, <laughs> what I would say to everybody is uh, one thing I've realized as I've gotten older is this, like, this sobering awareness that like I actually don't know anything, which is like super humbling most of the most most days. Yeah, you know when I when I look back, you know you said you said you've been doing this like for a hundred years. Um, I, I haven't been doing it for for that long, but uh, I'm I'm about twenty years myself, which is which is long and long oh, yeah. in, in our industry is um, there, there was a point in time where we had to like use some of these words and some of these terms to basically just get attention from anybody in our company, right? And like, I look at like my career and I look back when I was leading larger security organizations, it was like, I'm, I'm evangelizing for budget. Like I'm trying to prove the need of cyber to, to protect the organization. And you know, the, the challenge that I always had and I think a lot of people have is like, I had all of the accountability, I had none of the responsibility which is super stressful. 
And so in trying to get budget and trying to improve the security posture for the organizations I worked with, there was a time where like, we actually had to use over-exaggerated words just to get people's attention. And I think what, like fast forward in all these years here, is that muscle is still overdeveloped where people are selling fear, uncertainty, and doubt in order just to get attention. Like there's nothing honest or sincere about like the mission or the reason for the budget is basically like, like you're kind of selling an insurance policy of something that may or may not be as like, how about like, let's try to like understand the challenge, understand the outcome and let's try to solve business challenges with it. And that's a muscle we have not developed yet. And that's, um, that's something that uh, I, w- I would encourage all of you to say like, you know, if instead of selling fear, uncertainty and doubt, like, understand the business challenges for the organizations that you're going to work for and make recommendations that solve those challenges and then evangelize for budget. Because what's going to end up happening is over time, you can only play the fear, uncertainty, and doubt game so many times before someone's like, I heard that same argument last year and nothing's happened. We're, we're still in the same spot. But here's the thing, and you guys are all going to see this when you go out to industry, is all of the salespeople who are going to be approaching you about their new product, their better mousetrap, they are going to approach you using the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, right? And that that's going to be your first indication that what we're talking about right now is 100% true and it's a problem that persists within the entire industry. And this is, this is going to be a super extreme example and probably an overly technical one. But for, for this group, I think you'll, you'll track, is in our industry today, in the world that you're about to go into, it is completely overfunded. There's money coming out of the walls. It's like coming out of the floors. It's like coming out of people's pores investing in, into cybersecurity. And so um, with it, there's these grandiose, overhyped, overblown products, promises, like ideas, if you will. And um, to give you a, a real example, Jack and I were talking to a company, this is about two, two weeks ago. The amount of money they have, they, they could actually solve world hunger. Like, it's egregious how much cash they have. It is a, it is a war chest, if I, if I can hit this home. <laughs> it's a lot of cash. But they're going out to market pitching like EDR, endpoint security, um, solving all these challenges. And, and their, their, their marketing's great. Their story's great. But when you f- lift up the covers and you just look under the hood just a little bit, they have basically antiquated file extraction techniques that like we're using like in the, you, you were using them in like the early 2000s? Yeah. And so now we're, we're in the world of like dynamic file extraction for endpoint. And when you talk to like, some of their technical folks, like they don't even realize like that's where the industry is. But here's, here's the crime out of all this, is if you listen to what they say and you buy into their product because of all of their marketing, all of the complexity, all of the, all the clouds that they create, your, your cyber posture would be worse off having stepped into that. Because not only do you have a half-performing product, you have a false expectation of the protections that you're actually trying to get. And so this is actually the world that you all are about to step into. But if you step into it with that sense of self-awareness and being like having the courage to ask the hard questions and not settling for half answers, you will be better off. Your career will be better off 
if you if you force people to level up. Yeah, and, and you'll learn a lot of stuff too, which is like really exciting. And just to be clear, this was not a leader in the industry that had all this money. This is a new company. This is not somebody that you've ever heard of. And they're trying to position using the words that Justin describes about why they're better than the companies that really are success, succeeding and providing value in that market right now. And so this person comes to you, they describe it in these terms, you're always looking for something better you can very easily fall into the trap that Justin describes because that, that language, the, the language of it is so attractive. And if you haven't done a lot of work in like machine learning or artificial intelligence or any of these techniques, it's going to sound right. And it's going to sound right. And even the folks at Justin's point that, was just, that were describing it, they thought it was right, right? Because they, had, they didn't have that self-awareness to sort of go back yeah. and look again. And just to hit it home, like, these aren't bad people. No, they're, good people. They're, actually, they're super good people. And I think the world, the most of them, they just don't understand and they've never asked the question, right? And so, and I would say that's representative of, like, our entire industry is the industry's full of good people. Like, they're intellectually curious. They're trying to solve a hard problem, but no one's actually asked the question, right? They've never challenged the industry to be better. They've never challenged, challenged the industry to up-level itself, and we let this thing, this complexity, like perpetuate, and we allow it to keep going. I'm going to reflect back on something that you said that really stuck out in my head yeah. when you were talking about it. Um, there's a function that all of you as technologists are going to have to become very good at if you're going to succeed in the cybersecurity marketplace, right? And that is what Justin just described, which is marketing, right? Our capacity to help people understand why they should care about cybersecurity will determine whether or not your organizations will be secure. The difference between a fantastic CISO who has good performance internally and she's doing a great job of keeping the board informed and the one who sort of fails and ends up rotating jobs every 18 months after the breach, right, is that she understood how to have that conversation or he understood how to report to the board. That capacity to set expectations request things without using fear, uncertainty, and doubt, relating it to the business needs, that is what separates a truly dynamic, strategic security leader from someone who's sort of like doing the job and who's constantly going back saying, there's a new threat, I need more money, right? Because that person ends up losing the respect of the teams that are trusting them to get it done, right? They, if you can speak to the team in concrete terms, there's a wonderful example of the fellow who ran um, security for Goldman Sachs for like decades, um, Phil Venables, was brilliant at being able to communicate earnestly and authentically security problems to a team of people who really just wanted everybody to give, you know, give them their money, invest their money, get their money back. But he ended up finding ways to create value for the organization in terms that the organization understood. Yeah. And as a result, not only did he do a great job, but he, wrote, he raised up probably four or five of the best CISOs I know, yeah. right? And so remember, you know, and I think it's really important what you said, Justin, which is understand that part of our job as security people is to get other people to actually give a damn about security because people don't. Right. And I would say take that one step further is just because you all will be in a position some point, some sooner than others, um, to solve some of these business challenges and communicate to the board doesn't mean you have to stop being technical. And it doesn't mean you have to stop having a passion for being technical. In fact, I'd say some of the best security leaders I know are actually technical folks who have developed the muscle of communication, right? And so when all of you get to the point where you're leading your own security department someday and you're leading a staff of people your staff is going to be looking to you for expertise and direction. And really, like, if we're talking about good leadership, 
a lot of this is about leading from the front, right? And, and setting a good example and doing what you say you're going to do. And if, you, if you're able to do that, simple as it sounds on the topic here, it's easier said than done, you will be one of the top security leaders that, that exists within our industry today. It, it just doesn't exist. It, it, and you're probably reading a lot, right? There's a lot of turnover in our industry, right? There can be a lot of burnout in, in our industry in different kinds of jobs. And I think some of it goes back to a point that Justin made earlier about that um, having basically responsibility without the authority to actually make the change. Part of that comes down to this communication challenge, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, the example I, I like to use is that a CFO never gets fired because the company isn't profitable. It doesn't happen. Right? It's the CFO's job to understand why the company isn't profitable. It's the CFO's job to be creative and find ways to help make the company profitable. Yeah. Security people, historically, right, we're a little guild. We speak our own language that nobody understands and we feel extremely special. And we saw our incomes rise as a result of that exclusivity. Unfortunately, that also means that when anything goes sideways, it's our fault. Because we weren't able to communicate to the people who could make proactive change so that the bad thing wouldn't have happened. I'd encourage you to put that CFO model inside your head. As a security person, find words that you can use that will help people to understand what you're saying, bring them to the party, help them understand why it's important in terms that they can understand, so that when you need things, they understand why you need them. When something happens, you can help them understand why it happened. And you become more like that finance exec who's able to say, we're not profitable because, well, we're not secure because. And it's not a surprise to anyone. It's a different kind of language. And, and Justin's absolutely right. Technical people who develop that communication muscle are absolutely the home run hitters in the space. Yeah, 100%. So what, what recommendations would we have for this group to make cybersecurity easier? I kind of break it down to three things, right? The first one is being clear about the need and what we expect from the marketplace. Right? Would, you, would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. And make sure that it's your language, right? When somebody comes back to you and says, yes, I do that, then explain to me why I do that. So be clear in what you need to the vendors who will come to you with good solutions because maybe they think that what they have does what you want, but if they don't understand, it's going to be you who ends up on the short end. Yeah, and to give you a real example of that, Jack and I just ran into one Tuesday, Wednesday this week. Um, we're talking to someone, we're talking about 78% of malicious outbound traffic was attributed to a specific department. Or, or an agency, a school. So what, <laughs> right? So, um, but the, the question that you should really ask me, like, okay, great, interesting stat. What does it mean? Should we be wrapping the building off in yellow tape? Or like, should we, you know, forget about it and just go, go grab a cup of coffee? But the questions that we need to start asking to provide clarity is saying, okay, now that we know that we have 78% of traffic is outbound known malicious, okay, like, is that originating from a certain asset? Is that originating from like a group of users? You know, what's, what's the context around it so that we can make better decisions from a, from a cyber standpoint? So I think, I think that's, that's a good example of asking for clarity, requiring clarity, asking why enough time to get to the point where you can figure out what action to take to kind of secure your organization. The second one that I would add is having self-awareness and understand how complex this problem really is and be okay with that. Like, we just, just accept it. Like, this is a super hard problem. And when I think about, you know, trying to break down the complexity of a challenge like this, it comes down to basically three parts. It's capability. Do you actually have the understanding of the issue and to be able to solve it? Which is the whole reason that, you know, students here have all gone to get a four-year degree in cyber. 
So that's one. So you guys have you know, the, the capability to understand some of these issues. The second one is understand how big this problem actually is, right? And it's, it's super easy to talk about TTPs and IOCs and like, you know, all, all of the acronyms that get thrown around all the time, but it's great on an isolated case. Like that's really easy to comprehend on an isolated case. But like, what happens if you have 10 attacks or 100 attacks, 1,000 attacks? 100,000 attacks coming in at the same time. It's like bullets start flying. It's like, does, does your same process and methodology for a single TTP or IOC, what, throw, throw in whatever acronym you want. Does it scale? Does it have the breadth to say, okay, can our defenses scale? And that's, I, I think that's, that's a lot easier said than done. But if you can start breaking down and say, okay, the solution that we're putting forth or the solution we're trying to articulate an architect, could this be done at scale? Because by the way, like, if the answer is throwing bodies at it, which we've done today, you're going to burn people out. And like Jack said, like we have a super high turnover in our industry. People get super frustrated. They get they're very passionate. They care a ton. But when you start throwing bodies at it, like there's only so many hours in the day that people can work in a like sustainable fashion. And the last one would be context. So capability, breadth, and context. And you know, when I think about context is um, like the backstory is everything. Right? If you can understand the origination of an attack or you can understand like, the intent and you can fundamentally understand that humans are actually irrational things and most, op- most often there's an operator on the other end of that and that they're irrational. And like, let's just assume an extreme. Like, maybe they're, they're hypoglycemic right? and they're running an attack and it's after lunchtime and they haven't eaten and they're crabby SOBs. Their, their behaviors are going to be very differently if you caught them after breakfast. Right? It's just truth through the matter, right? So that's two. Understand how complicated the problem was. And then the third one that I would throw in to all of you is don't, don't be part of the problem, really. And, it's, and that, that, again, kind of starts with self-awareness and understanding that there is a problem. So, and it's, it's something that we're not going to fix overnight. It's something that we have to just make small steps to improve, improvement, try to improve every day. You guys are going to run into a lot of salespeople, Right? Use, use the opportunity to kind of correct them if you feel it's right to do so and help educate the industry. Yeah, I, I like when you were talking about the, the capability, the breadth, and the context. Yeah. I think that that's something that's really exciting about this space for all of you. The, you know, I'm sure inside the coursework, you, you study things like drift and dwell, right? The thing that was perfectly secure, as I'm saying this sentence, is not secure by the time I finish the next sentence, right? It's just the way the world is. It's not necessarily something gaping, something horrible, but we drift from being secure because the world around us changes. I want you to think about what it's going to be like when you join a large organization or you join a mid-sized organization and you're applying security. Not only do you have to handle all the complexity that Justin just talked about and the breadth of the problems, the volume of problems you're going to see, but rest assured that the rest of the company isn't sitting around maintaining the status quo, running their AS400s and Windows C right? They've been advancing the technology, they've been advancing their applications, they've been advancing the pervasive use of internetworking, you know, they've hired new people, they've fired some people. The security context for the world you're working in is also changing really, really rapidly. So as you're coming up with your planning and you're thinking about your way through it, make sure you're applying yourself to understanding that changing world, right, where the organization is going, create the relationships, create the paths for communication, so you also know as the things that are outside of security is changing. Because not only is everything we do changing all the time, because that's the nature of sort of like cyber epidemiology, right? The diseases are always changing and treatment is always changing. But the business that you're trying to keep healthy, it's always changing as well. I think that context bit's a really good point. 
Yeah, so we should, we're going to start wrapping this one up. My ask to all of you, and I say my charge, my encouragement, is this, this isn't all bad news, right? This is, this is a problem that we all have to fix. And the, and the charge to this group is you're about to go out into an industry to help us solve these issues. And by the way, you know, Jack's generation kind of got us kicked off. Being really honest, like... Sorry my, about that. My, my, my generation has, and I'm, I'm probably mid, mid-career at this point, with advances in modern medical science, it's reasonable to think I could do this for another 50 or 60 years. Um, but like my, my generation hasn't made it easier either, right? Like we've, we've 100% been part of this issue as well. The advantage that you guys all have is you have clean slates. Like you can start fresh and you can change the industry. So my ask is that, you know, you guys are done with school, you get your degrees, you go off to the industry, you can change this. Like, you can change this problem. And, and then 10 years from now, you're going to be sitting up here telling everybody about how you, how you change the industry, right? And it, it starts by these small grassroots efforts, right? It's this very organic thing that needs to, needs to take shape. But we can definitely do it. So it's not, this isn't all like doom and despair. Like, it's, it's actually trying to be a positive message that you guys can actually all, all influence change. The last thing I would say is that as a New Englander and Northeasterner myself, while all the schools are competing, I wish everybody good luck in the competition, but there's only going to be one winner at the end of the day going on to the finals. We owe it to the person that wins to cheer them on so that they can be successful because they ultimately represent everybody in this group. And it would be super cool and super nice to see the Northeast be on the map as the winner of the collegiate defense competition. So regardless of what happens here, I wish everybody luck, but we owe it to make the Northeast the best region in the country. Amen. All right. So the questions, pwned at newharborsecurity.com. If you need help with uh, moving lawn furniture, <laughs> planting trees for spring. Spring cleanup. Yeah. <laughs> or you have questions about cybersecurity, uh, you know how to find us. And uh, all of you want to take us out? All right, everybody, thank you. Thanks, everybody.